Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast. Welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Thursday, March the 26th. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. We're journalists with Stuff, and this is episode four of Coronavirus NZ, where we round up the day's news, mostly with a Kiwi focus, then zoom in for a closer look at some particular aspect of the COVID-19 crisis. There's been only one story on the planet the last couple of weeks, but today, something big enough and important enough to break through the noise, and that's the surprise guilty plea of the terrorist who killed 51 people praying at mosques in Christchurch last year. But even that case is unable to escape the impact of COVID-19. Sentencing is going to be delayed until families of his victims can get along to court. So as of midnight last night, we are in lockdown, people. Dogs too, kind of. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, my wife took our painfully arthritic dog to the vet. Um, So he hopefully will stop getting stuck in the dog flap halfway through and at the top and bottom of stairs. Uh, She was told to stay in the vet's car park and a fully gowned and masked vet nurse came to the car. They took Max, the Border Terrier, away and said they'd call Katrina on her cell phone if they needed to discuss anything. So Katrina waited in the car till Max had received some really, really expensive injections. And then he was carried back out to the car and loaded back in. Um, Katrina never entered the vets, never touched anything, never touched anyone. The only person touching any surfaces anywhere was the was this fully protected worker. So pretty impressive stuff. And that's just doggy health. Did Max come back with a little mask on? That would have been extremely cute, and uh, I regret to inform you the answer is no. Anyway, earlier today we talked to Dr. Heather Hendrickson. She's a biologist from Massey University. We wanted to get back to basics a bit, understand a bit more about what this coronavirus actually is. Where does it come from? And how such a tiny thing, which is invisible to the naked eye, can wreak such havoc right around the world. But first, what's happened today? The number of new cases has jumped almost 38% in the past 24 hours. 78 new cases, which takes us up to 283. There are 27 people who have recovered, 7 people in hospital, but all of them are stable and none are in intensive care. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced a $27 million package for social services. Part of that will go towards Women's Refuge to set up accommodation for women and children who need to leave the home during the lockdown. That lockdown is now in place. Police are patrolling the streets on the lookout for people in breach of what is a kind of a complicated curfew. You can be out for some reasons, but not for lots of other reasons. Basically, stay at home. Those police officers have some sweeping new powers. Thomas Match from Stuff's Press Gallery has been in the Beehive Theatre with Mike Bush from A Safe Distance, of course. Thomas, I guess we're living under a pandemic police state, as the press editorial described it this morning. Mike Bush is the top cop. So what was what's the tone like in these press conferences? It's um, yeah. I think his tone's very interesting. It's it's quite sort of he went he did the morning media rounds this morning, right? And people might have heard him on the radio or on the AM show. And he and he's trying to be light. He's trying to be sort of light touch. Like um, you'll see the friendly face of police. He keeps saying and and in his the way he describes what police will be doing, he he uses very sort of jovial language like, oh look, if someone's if someone's breaching the rules, if they continue to breach the rules, we will arrest them and then they'll spend some time at our place. You know? So that's that's the sort of tone. He's trying to I think he's trying to reassure. He's trying to say to people, we're not we're not gonna be out there on the streets, you know, um, looking for wrongdoing, but also at the same time 
he's saying this is a serious this is serious business yeah so it's the the iron fist and the soft glove as it were in the velvet glove yeah there's kind of like a hard power behind the soft message you know is is how i've been thinking about it right so what did he have to say uh first of all are new zealanders actually complying with the new rules as far as the police who are out there can see yeah i mean um it seems like early on there's been people out and about who don't who haven't heard enough about the lockdown or don't understand it or uh, sort of taking the piss, so to speak. Right. So he said, he said overnight they had officers who were, who were out and about and they came across people driving around. He had a very un- sort of specific anecdote, which I wonder where it came from, about someone using an ATM, you know. Um, right. But, but I mean, no indication at this moment, no one arrested, it seems, no one intentionally flouting the rules in a way that, that sort of uh, warranted that response. Right. What, what will they do if people break the rules? You know, we're in a state of emergency now, so it gives the police vast powers that I think we need to really have a look at in the coming days. Um, but under the sort of Civil Defence and Emergency Management Act and the Summary Offences Act and the, the antiquated, um, the old Health Act, mm. they're able to they're able to do great, you know, a lot of things. So they will, um, they will arrest and they will detain. And we asked, I asked them today, you know, how long how long can you detain someone for? And the answer was very non-specific. He said, "They will. They can come and they can sit at our place and they can think and contemplate about what they've done." So, right. so this this doesn't go before courts. You know, you yeah. could be arrested. You could be put in a police cell, and in effect, you know, um, we don't know for how long. And the, and they can, they've even got powers to go into people's places if they suspect there's a gathering going on. Yeah, I found that I found that quite interesting. So that's under the Civil Defence Act. So they're able to um, they're able to to enter someone's home um, or break into someone's home to, uh, to, to check on whether, whether there's a gathering of people, anything that could be endangering lives, which, you know, under the current circumstances, gatherings do endanger lives. Sure. So, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of power that in, under normal circumstances, New Zealanders would probably never, would, would never like to see police have free movement into their homes, you know? Yeah. But... This is how we live now. Yeah. They're also getting tough at the airport too. Yeah, so um, the new quarantine regime came in at um, 2 a.m. this morning, and I was quite surprised actually. Only eight people have been quarantined so far, um, strictly, for for having possible symptoms, whereas, um, you know, there were 360, I think, that came through the border um, this morning. Right. So that's that's a very small number. Uh, 160 are being held also in hotel rooms because they don't have uh, like an appropriate method of travelling home. You know, so part of the condition now is that if you come into the into the airport, you've got to be able to say, "I'm going to go stay at this house for the next month, and I will travel there in this method," which means I don't break self isolation and potentially infect others. And so, if you can't say that, then you can't go. But um, the police seem to be helping these people form those plans before, you know, telling them that they will be quarantined strictly for a month. Right. Thank you very much, Thomas Manch. New Zealand's cases are steadily climbing, but so far, no deaths. The global death toll, though, has passed 20,000. More than 3,400 of the deaths are in Spain. So they're now second in the number of deaths. Italy's still number one. China has slipped back to number three. It's like some sort of grim horse race, isn't it, watching these numbers? But often, you know, as is always the case, it's the small details which hit home. For me, hearing that in Madrid, they're they're using an ice rink as a makeshift morgue. Right. Mm. 
So look, our borders are shut to foreigners now, but still new cases are arriving from overseas. On Tuesday, for instance, a bunch of symptomatic people arrived at Auckland Airport. 100 people were assessed, 35 were tested, and 8 of those tested positive. Now, though, they are taking measures to strictly quarantine those people, aren't they? Well, times they are a little strange and we don't know what to do. Coronavirus is broken out now, New Zealand's got it too. DJ Dudding, what is that? This is the Coronavirus NZ podcast, and you're listening to the Melotones of the Ballad of COVID 19, bracket stay inside, unbracket by Kiwi actor Jack Buchanan. Keeping social distance is the way we stop the spread, because even though you might not get that sick, your grandma might drop dead. So it seems people are getting pretty creative. You've got to do something in a lockdown, I guess. Might as well be a country song. Could go to number one. New Zealanders can no longer meet in person mostly, but we're social animals, so all that primate hierarchy stuff is is sort of having to be reconfigured on the fly. So it's become pretty impractical to try and impress people with the size of your car, the brand of your shoes, the number of your iPhone. So I've got a working theory, actually borrowed directly from my wife, that the new social status signifier has become the video conferencing background. So that's your furnishings, that's the books on your bookshelf, that's the view out the window to your extensive gardens with wild deer nibbling at the hedges, you know, that kind of thing. So if you've got a Colin McCann on your wall somewhere, this is the time to put on your uh, museum curator gloves and move it so it's just behind you when you're at your spare bedroom desk. Hey, Adam, you've got some new, no, it's not a McCann, but you've got some new artwork behind you. I have failed to collect any McCanns in my um, art collecting career, but yesterday my daughter set to work with her felt tips to create the masterwork you can see behind you, but which the listeners can't because this is a podcast. But um, trust me, it's it's really rather nice. It's this sort of piece of A4 with a monochrome uh, sort of, it's kind of a f- sort of flowers meet bananas pattern. A lot better than it sounds, honestly. It's really quite lovely. Anyway, she also crafted a fine recording sign that I put on the door as we record these entirely unscripted stretches of banter. Oh, yes, Adam, I agree. You are so funny. Ha, ha, ha. Right, anyway. Hey, I did, while we, we were on Zoom, on a ch- Zoom chat the other day, which neither of us are very familiar with, we were talking to the Science Media Centre, and you had it like a Golden Gate Bridge behind you? How the, how did that work? Yeah, well, I've, I, to be honest, I have no idea. I, had, you um, escaped, I just, had you escaped self-isolation and gone to San Francisco? That's a nice theory, but not. Uh, no, this was, um, I pressed the button, downloaded the thingy, pressed on the other thing, then it said background. I clicked the background, and it had these options, and I chose the Golden Great Bridge. So, hooray for Zoom. I guess this is why its share price has gone up from $60 to $170 or something in the last couple of months, because that's what everyone is doing. They're yeah. Zooming around. Mm. Video conferencing is us, which hey, Zoom reminds me of a line from my wife Suzanne, who reckons the generation who are born nine months after lockdown should be called baby Zoomers. Oh, today, in our regular famous people in fiction news, Prince Charles has coronavirus. Actually, though, he's not the first royal to get it. Prince Albert of Monaco got it a few days ago. They're both doing fine, though, apparently. Meanwhile, our coronavirus lockdown song list is evolving from the straightforward virus songs. We've now got a top 10 supermarket road trip song, which has uh, been posted to Twitter by Troy Rafferty Connell. Um, number one, I'm going to be, bracket, 500 aisles, unquote. 
His dad jokes are almost as good as ours. Anyway, um, number two, obviously, don't stand close. Don't stand so close to me. The unavoidable favourite. It's on every mm-hmm. list. Number three, road to nowhere. Whole bunch more. Um, number six, dancing with myself. Da, 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 here without you is number nine. And then once you've got your supplies, number ten, better be home soon. Which is, of course, is a crowded house song. I'm glad he didn't choose crowded houses locked out. So this is the coronavirus podcast, or actually coronavirus NZ podcast, but four days in, we've had a bit of a realisation. We're not 100% sure what our podcast is named after. I mean, sure, it's named after that new pandemic virus, which looks a bit like a pom-pom in the artist's images, but we're not totally clear on exactly what COVID-19 is, what a coronavirus is. In fact, there's quite a lot we don't know about viruses, full stop. But someone who really understands viruses inside out, how she's quite probably literally turned a few viruses inside out, is Dr. Heather Hendrickson. She studies a class of viruses that run around eating bacteria. They're called bacteriophages. And her PhD was in molecular, cellular, and developmental biology. So we thought we'd start with a really complex question. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. And please tell me, what is a virus? Hi guys, thanks. Um, So a virus is going to be a small molecular agent that can only replicate inside of other cells. So a virus is is a mandatory parasite. It has to infect something that's alive in order to replicate itself and to make more copies of itself. Are they technically alive? So it really depends on the definition of life that you like to use. Um, When I get this question, I generally go with the NASA definition of life, which is that life is a self-sustaining chemical system that's capable of what's called Darwinian evolution. And just to unpack that a little bit, so it could be made out of anything according to this definition. Of course, this is a definition made by astrobiologists who want to go off in space and find other kinds of life that don't necessarily have the same kind of molecular basis that that we do. Um, But it has to be some kind of chemical system. It has to have um, multiple agents. So what we would in biology generally call like a species. And I mentioned this term Darwinian evolution. And what that means is that something can replicate itself and it makes versions that are kind of like itself, but it makes mistakes when it's doing it. And those mistakes right. are really the, the, the meat of evolution, if you will. So that's where the opportunity for evolution really takes place. And in the case of viruses, most people would not consider them to be alive because they aren't self-sustaining. They have to uh. be parasitic. So they do undergo Darwinian evolution. And we're certainly seeing um, this process of Darwinian evolution where they replicate themselves. The copies are a little bit like themselves, but sometimes there are differences and that's where evolution happens. So coronaviruses, um, where do they sit in the the family tree of viruses? And um, do we have any idea of when they might have started? I there. So we can certainly take those short RNA molecules that make up their genetic information. And we can go back and back and back by looking at the small mutations that have taken place over time. And we can connect them to a lot of the different viruses that we see because it's such a small amount of information. I I don't think it's very easy to go back and actually figure out exactly when they emerged. Certainly in the, the, the new coronavirus that we're dealing with right now, we can see that the coronaviruses that are most closely related to it appear to have come from bats. Does every virus hurt its host 
Or is it possible for them to run around parasitically spreading around the planet and be literally harmless? It is very possible for viruses to be completely harmless. One of the things that I've found really interesting about the, this current coronavirus um, outbreak is that we've, I've learned at least more about how why bats are actually so good at being a host for lots of different viruses. So 20% of the mammals on the planet are actually bats. And wow. so they're going to be carrying a lot of the viruses that could potentially spill over um, and go from, from an animal into a human host. And these viruses don't seem to have a very detrimental or very negative effect on, on the bats in general. So they're a great host for a lot of different viruses, including many of these coronaviruses that we've seen spill over into the human population. Do we know how many coronaviruses types there, there are out there and, 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 and what they get up to when they're not causing a global human pandemics? So before the SARS outbreak, um, there wasn't a lot that was known about coronaviruses. And coronaviruses, in fact, were just very poorly studied. And even after um, SARS, um, there have been just a handful, maybe a, a few dozen different people actually working hard on coronaviruses specifically. Um, so there's a huge amount that we don't know about them, including exactly how many they are. But that's always true of viruses. Like in just as an example, like with bacteriophages, the viruses that kill bacteria, what we know right now is that we estimate that there are about a trillion of these bacteriophages on the planet for every grain of sand. <laughs> and those <Wow>. are <laughs> astronomical numbers, right? Like it's huge. And we don't know what that estimate should be. At least I haven't seen a good estimate for um, coronavirus, but people who work directly in the coronavirus field are saying there could be there could be billions of these viruses, and they're just not very well studied right now. Why is COVID-19 so dangerous? What's the engineering of it that's allowed it to zoom around the planet in so little time? So my understanding of that right now is that that has partly to do with how it appears to be getting into infection. So a lot of you know, kind of flu viruses that aren't particularly dangerous hang around in the upper respiratory tract. And that it makes it easier for them to be exchanged, easier for them to kind of move out of the respiratory tract and into droplets and, and, and spread around. This coronavirus appears to start the infection in the upper respiratory tracts and then move into the lower respiratory tracts where it causes cell damage and cell death and cells slough off. And then we have these kind of immune system reactions to that damage. And that's, that's where people get really sick. But part of the reason that this one appears to be so good at transmitting is that it doesn't cause a lot of symptoms until later in the infection process. And that means people are walking around asymptomatic. They don't know that they're suffering from an infection and they're, they're able to infect other people pretty easily. Yeah, so actually part of what makes it so dangerous is us. Our behavior, the yeah. things that we do. Absolutely. Um, that's why, I mean, it's been so great to see New Zealand take the kinds of measures that it's taking. And, you know, we're all in self-isolation now. And that's supposed to be a really important part of turning this around so that, you know, people will get sick, but our health systems hopefully will be able to handle it. We've had SARS, we've had MERS, we've now got COVID-19. They're all coronaviruses, right? You know, they're all nasty respiratory illnesses. Has the world always been spawning these nasty bugs or is something new going on here? So that kind of comes back to these um, ideas of spillover events and, and how human behavior encourages these types of events. And 
and part of that gets into, you know, anytime that, that humans are increasing in their population and also interacting with wildlife more frequently, we're more likely to see these kinds of events where a virus that is running around inside of an animal population is able to, um, through random mutations that it's acquired, make the leap over into humans. So I think, you know, we're pushing into territories that were formerly wild. We're bringing wild animals into, you know, things like markets or just interacting with them more. And all of those types of interactions make this sort of an event more likely to take place. What's to stop something just as nasty appearing next year or the, or the year after? Scientists have been predicting these kinds of pandemics for years and kind of asking that we, that we make sure that we're prepared for this kind of an event. This will happen again. There's, there isn't anything to prevent it. And this, this particular virus is mutating, but it doesn't appear to be getting more virulent. There isn't really selection for it to be more virulent. But for this type of an event to take place in the first place is an evolutionary, it's going to happen. What's the end game for COVID-19 itself, though? How will this pandemic end? Some people have been asking if we're going to be able to rely on, um, at least for the Northern Hemisphere, you know, changes that involve like the weather. So coronaviruses are actually pretty delicate little things physically. Um, so UV light has a negative effect on them. High temperatures have a negative effect on them. And when we're in um, environments that have more moisture, our lungs are better at, at being ready for a virus if, if we do get infected by a virus. But the spread of the coronavirus at this stage is so dramatic. Um, I heard a great interview where somebody compared it to like a raging wildfire and seasonality at this point appears to be maybe like a, maybe it's been compared to a light rain. So a light rain is not going to stop a massive raging wildfire. So what we're looking at now in terms of the end of this is going to be some degree of herd immunity in some places and hopefully vaccination efforts. But those are probably at least a year away. Wow. We need helicopters with big monsoon buckets from the sky. Don't <laughs> that, we? that will kill these coronaviruses. But yeah. the, the good news is when I, you know, when I said that they're really delicate little things, a coronavirus is really, you know, a spiky little virus that's surrounded by a membrane and it just has these little genetic molecules inside of it. And that's really all there is to it. And that's why soap <laughs> is such a great tool to use in this instance, because Soap completely dissolves that membrane, and without its body, the virus can't infect cells and it can't replicate further. And that's why this hand washing um, that we've been talking about is so important. Social distancing is so important to, to lower the number of people who are immediately going to be getting sick from this. Great. Hey, Heather, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for your expertise. We'll be having you back again, no doubt. Thanks, guys. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Thursday the 26th of March. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Dr Heather Hendrickson, Thomas Manch, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find us just about everywhere on Pot and Podcast Land, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google and of course on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. More there.